Welcome into another episode of Run It For The Roses, our final episode of November. Lucas, the regular season has come to an end. It has been a frantic, crazy 24 to 48 hours in the sport of college football. This is probably one of my favorite pods of the year. Like, post-rivalry week, coaching carousel in full swing, championship week, playoff discussion. So much happening in our sport. Uh, I'm excited to break it down tonight. How are you, bud? I'm doing very well. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving weekend. Happy belated um, as well. Happy belated birthday. What is it? Three zero now. I'm yes. I am now a. Uh, I'm now in my thirties, which is still yeah. kind of hard to comprehend. But um, thirty years young, um, as uh, as I like to put it. Um, but uh, but no, uh, feel good. Um, it was a long weekend. A lot of travel. We drove all the way. Did the nine and a half hour drive up to Wisconsin. Uh, on Wednesday and then again yesterday took the day off work which was very much needed um so yeah feel refreshed and uh yeah regular season college football is over now we just have championship week and the coaching carousel to really talk about yeah it's it's truly one of my favorite times of the year there's so much news to break down so much stuff to get into and then you remember oh wait we actually have meet some meaningful college football games this week and, and <laughs> potentially and we'll get to this towards the end of the show a really fun college football playoff. I think if, if things trend in the right direction, you would have two new participants in the college football playoff, TCU and USC, Michigan getting there for a second year, Georgia, the defending national champion. Uh, we'll see how things shake out next week or this upcoming week, selection Sunday um, in, in, uh, in six days. But it, it's, it, I think it'll be an interesting conference championship week. Some games, a lot of meaning and, and some games, you know, I'm looking at you, ACC. Uh, absolutely no meaning. <laughs> um, all right, man. So let's get into some coaching stuff first. I had talked to you. I said, man, we need to do coaching first. Like, forget roses. Forget breaking down the big game. Like, this is our bread and butter. Both of our schools hired new football coaches. Both of our schools, I think, hit absolute home runs with the hires, at least on paper. Um, Kenny Dillingham to Arizona State. Luke Fickle to Wisconsin. We also have Matt Rule going to Nebraska. And then, unfortunately, we'll get to here in a little bit, Hugh Freeze going to Auburn, announced earlier today. Uh, Lucas, let's start with our schools. Let's start with your school, Wisconsin Badgers. We have we talked numerous times about this job, and we had broken it down and said, it's, it's Lance Leipold or it's Jim Leonard. And mm-hmm. you said last week, I think it'll be Jim Leonard. I think they'll announce it on Saturday or Sunday. You brought up the inside info of they post the job a week before they hire and it's not Jim Leonard, it's Luke Fickle, one of the hottest names on the coaching market the last handful of years. Took Cincinnati to the playoff two years ago, 9-3 and three this year for the Bearcats. Nine players drafted, including Sauce Gardner in the first round, Desmond Ritter. Um, your thoughts on the hire? Your thoughts on, on you were driving home nine hours from Wisconsin yesterday when it happened, and and Hannah was having to text you updates and, you know, or, you know, read your text to give you updates. What was that like? And, and your thoughts on the hire? Yeah. So yeah, just kind of to recap on that. So yeah, I'm driving home. Like I said, it's about a nine and a half hour drive. We're in the middle of nowhere in, in Indiana. Uh, when all of a sudden I get a text from you, I get a text from our friend Dakota. And I get a text from my, my friend Max. And I know if I'm getting texts from all three of you guys at the same time, it's most likely college football related and probably has something yeah. to do with Wisconsin. So I, I actually thought 
that they had just maybe made the announcement that Jim Leonard was the head coach. Like they sent out the official release, all of that. Nowhere did it cross my mind that they would have gone with, with an outside candidate. And when I saw the messages, it was, it was shocking. I mean, I'm still a little floored that it happened. You know, we've talked about, you know, kind of Luke Fickle, even last year when Oklahoma came open, when USC came open, basically, I feel like every major job that has come open in the last couple of years, Luke Fickle's name has come up. And all we said is he's probably not leaving unless it's like Notre Dame, unless it's Ohio State, maybe like a big job like in the Midwest, um, just because he stuck it out for at Cincinnati for so long. He's an Ohio guy. But yeah, I it, it, it was a little bittersweet as well, because I don't think Jim Leonard got a great fair shake at the thing. Uh, one, just, I mean, I know that they lost a brutal game on, on, on Sunday. We may get and in, dig into that later, how that debacle all happened. But apparently this decision was made on Friday um, when talks really heated up between Fickle and Wisconsin. It was pretty much a done deal by then. Um, you know, Jim Leonard had plenty of time, had seven games uh, with a staff that he didn't hire, with uh, a majority of the players he didn't recruit. And I felt like they were asking him basically to do like a miraculous turnaround, which did not happen. And also like he didn't get to really profess what his vision was for the program until the last week of the season, even when they had a bye week uh, during all of this. And to me, if, and then he was still not told about whether he was getting the job or not until pretty much yes, or on Sunday when they basically decided they were going to go with fickle. So on the one hand, I do think Jim Leonard got kind of screwed. He's been unwaveringly loyal to Wisconsin. He's had, you know, we talked last year, he turned down the DC job for the Packers. Apparently he's turned down a couple of head coaching opportunities. He's left, you know, he's had offers to be a defensive coordinator for a lot more money, other places too, but he's believed in this program. And I just felt like he deserved a little bit better. Then again, that's college football. It's not, it's not, it's not an easy business to work in. And this is just another reminder of that because at the same time, I think Chris McIntosh or AD did a fantastic job when keeping this super close lipped. And he also had to make the best decision for the future of the program. And I can't argue with the decision that he made. Like Luke Fickle hits every box that you want. And I know there's no, there's never, you know, we can never guarantee these things. But Luke Fickle's not only a guy I think that can get Wisconsin back to where they were, but I think he's also a guy that could maybe even elevate it to where they were years ago and maybe get them over the hump in the Big Ten. So I think it's a slam dunk hire. Like I said, it sucks. Like kind of Jim Leonard's kind of the almost like a sacrificial lamb for this to happen because I'm sure he's going to be – I mean, I wouldn't want to work under a guy that, that took a job that I thought I had. But, I mean, we were talking last week. I thought this was a slam dunk and everybody – that we read like all the 24 seven boards, all the beat writers that, that have source deep sources within the program all said that this was Leonard's job, no matter what, even after they lost to Minnesota on Saturday, one of the lead beat writers for Wisconsin basically said, all he's hearing is that they're still going to make the announcement tomorrow for him. So it was still shocked. But like I said, I am, I am floored. I'm shocked that, Fickle left Cincinnati for Wisconsin. Not that I don't think Wisconsin's a top tier job. I just figured he was looking for maybe something bigger. Um, but I think it's it's just a great step forward for our program. Uh, I think I wasn't sure if they were going to splurge 
on a hire. Um, but we, we talked about before the pod, I mean, it looks like it's a seven year deal with almost $8 million every year. Um, so I think it, it's a, it's a sign of the times, especially with the big 10, with their new TV deal, just the amount of money these programs can offer. And it's not even really gonna, it's not even like a risk financially for them anymore to do it. So, um, I'm excited about it. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited to see who the staff he gets in place. The attrition that's probably going to happen, I'm not looking forward to. Um, yesterday alone, they lost three more commitments in their in their recruitment yeah. class. But I'm excited with the the staff that he could potentially bring in, and just kind of the moving forward. It's a new era, and I'm really really excited about it. I know I had read that Braylon Allen came out and said like, as long as Jim Leonard's here, I'm here. I don't know. I think that's call number one if you're if you're Luke Fickle, obviously. Um, just touching on, I, I think what Luke Fickle's mindset might have been i mean i think if you're luke fickle because because you're right right the the sentiment was notre dame or ohio state right maybe michigan maybe penn state but if you look at those jobs i think luke fickle looks around and says are any of those jobs going to be available to me anytime soon right penn state has james franklin on in year what one or two of a 10-year deal Mm -hmm. jim harbaugh is most likely going to make the playoff for the second straight year um notre dame came open last year and you didn't even get a look, essentially. They, they promoted Marcus Freeman within days. Oklahoma, same thing, right? Like, you don't really get a look, at least not that I had heard of, and they hire Brent, Brent Venables. And not that I don't – I mean, no offense. I, I don't know if Wisconsin's on the, the level of those other jobs, but Wisconsin's probably right at the top of that next tier. Mm-hmm. And the job was open. They were going to pay a lot of money. And I also wonder if Luke Fickle was like, hey, listen, like – I don't know if my shine will be what it is now a year from now, right? We've seen schools enter different conferences, whether it's Utah, Mm -hmm. Colorado, Nebraska, West Virginia. Like when you enter a new league, like Cincinnati's going from the American to the big 12. I mean, Cincinnati was nine and three this year. They'd probably be seven and five next year in the big 12. And they have to play Kansas state TCU and Baylor and Oklahoma, like whatever. And, you know, like we've seen like with Matt Campbell, right? Like Matt Campbell was interviewing years ago with NF- for NFL jobs. Mm-hmm. And Iowa State went four and eight this year. And you're not hearing Matt Campbell's name anywhere in any of these big high profile jobs. Not Auburn, not Nebraska, not Wisconsin, not any of them. So I do think as a coach, you have to kind of, it's a fine line between leaving too early and you're not ready. And you may never get this job again. I think Luke Fickle looked around and said, this is the best job in the Midwest that's going to be open maybe for a while. Ohio State, they lose to Michigan again. There are some people being like, man, if Ryan Day loses again next year to Michigan, maybe they make a move. But if Luke Fickle goes 7-5 and five in the Big 12 next year, is Ohio State going to hire Luke Fickle? Like, I don't know. So mm-hmm. I, think it, I think it makes sense for the timing. And, and listen, I think for Wisconsin, like you said, it, it, he checks every box. You know, Midwest guy, Big Ten experience. Um, a ton of success at the group of five. He knows the recruiting area. He got Cincinnati to the playoff. You know, develops players really well, develops good NFL players. Just had a quarterback drafted in the, in the third round. Like, it checks every box, and it, it sucks for Jim Leonard. I mean, we, we, like, we were texting our, our friend Dakota, and he was saying, you know, I, I think, you know, they have to retain Leonard. I go, I don't think Leonard's going anywhere near that program anymore. I mean, after the no. loyalty that he showed them, the last couple of years to be kind of passed over for a job. And, and I think if I was the Wisconsin AD, I bet the same choice. I think you need something a little bit more 
not foolproof because no coaching hire is foolproof, but a little bit maybe more of a reliable hire than promoting an intern. Like you don't know what you're going to get. So I see it from both sides. I think it's a great hire on paper. Um, they clearly showed an investment, seven years, almost $56 million total. Um, and uh, I think it's a, a really smart move for both sides. Yeah, no, I, same thing. I couldn't have imagined this happening. So I'm super happy. I Like I said, right now I'm just more focused on, okay, what are the type of guys they're going to bring in? Who's he going to bring from Cincinnati? Is he going to retain any of the staff here? Um, and you like it mentioned too, I think he's got to recruit probably 70% of this roster from deciding to transfer. Not that he's going to get all of them, but um, if they want a semi-functional team next year, I think that's going to be a a big goal for him. But um, let's talk about the other one of our programs that had another, I think a big splash too as well. Um, And that was ASU hiring uh, Oregon defense or offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham, former AS, you know, an ASU alumnus. Yep. You know, kind of what are your your general thoughts? This was something I feel like that had been linked for the last couple weeks. Yep. Um, what are your kind of your general thoughts on? Honestly, on man, like pretty static. I mean, yeah. I didn't think ASU was gonna be able to pull this off the way they did. I mean, I was listening to cover three like last week and the guys were speculating like, has ASU even started their search? Like has, you know, who's hiring? And they were, you know, mocking ASU and for the Sun Devils to get their guy, do the press conference the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I saw he was doing like a Zoom call with the, all the Arizona high school football coaches that day that hit the ground running like this. is It's, it's really impressive for for an administration that has been much maligned and, and I think for good reason. It, you know, we had talked about before we started recording, just like seeing Michael Crow and Ray Anderson up there was at the press conference was, was really, really like frustrating for me because of what has happened to ASU football under under their watch. But you got to give them props where props are due. I mean, this was a sensible hire. This hire makes sense. It's a completely different hire than anything that I have seen. You know, almost every other coach ASU has hired has been towards the end of their career. Herm Edwards. You know, even Todd Graham was, I think, in his late 40s or early 50s. Dennis Erickson, you know, Dirk Cutter wasn't a spring chicken when, when he was hired here. This is a guy who's 32 years old. He knows the state of Arizona. He's born here. He went to high school here, coached high school here, ASU GA. Um, and he was an ASU GA when they were doing pretty well. Like the first mm-hmm. couple of years of the Todd Graham era, like they were winning 10 games. They played for an, a Pac-12 championship against Stanford and – um I think he I think he knows the challenges that this job has with the in-state recruiting and, and uh, their place in the Pac-12 and what they can spend in their resource allocation and, and such. I think he's a guy that's proven he can he can call plays at a high level and, and develop you know players. What he did with what he did for Bo Nix this year and that Oregon offense, one of the best in the country. Um, I didn't think they were going to get him. I, I I was expecting to be disappointed with this hire. I was expecting to get. Tom Herman, or I was expecting to get Brian Harson, or, you know, whatever, right? Or a guy that, you know, even like an out-of-the-box, like I brought up Ken Wisenhunt two weeks ago. Yeah. That's that's the guy. I was expecting to be like, wait, what? Why did we do this? And it's just, it's a sensible hire. It makes sense. It checks a lot of boxes. Again, he's young. He's 32. Who knows if this will work out? He could not be ready. But, like, I'm willing to take that chance. 
I'm willing to take that chance that he might not be ready or take the chance that at in six years, he takes a bigger job. He takes Penn State. He takes Auburn. Who cares? If that happens, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? ASU hasn't had that, not in my lifetime. So I was all for it. I, I loved the process. It was low-key. There weren't a lot of you know rumors. There weren't a lot of names linked to the job. Um, the administration, I think for once, did a really, really nice job with this one. What are your thoughts? Yeah. To kind of hit on that note, I, I can't stand the people who don't want to hire a head coach because they think he's going to move on if he does well. To me, it's just like, because people were saying the same thing with Fickle. They're like, well, what if he had, he does really well at Wisconsin and Ohio State opens? It's like, okay, well, whatever. That means if they want him, it means he did a really damn good yes. job. And yes. if anything, even if he does leave, People are going to be like, oh, that he elevated that program to a place where it didn't go. I could probably get it there. It just makes your candidate base that much better. So stop freaking out. And it's just like what we've seen is, especially in these last few coaching cycles, if there's a really hot candidate that you don't want to go, if you really want to get him to stay, especially if you're a Power 5 team, you can usually get them to stay unless yeah. it's like a, an alma mater or it's just like you're Texas A&M and you just pay an obscene amount of money for five, for five and seven seasons. So, um, but, uh, but no, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, we talked about in our coaching carousel, a lot of times you see these teams, if they flounder with a head coach, they kind of go with the opposite. Um, and it, he's the complete opposite of Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards hadn't coached a college on a, in college for like 30 years. Where Dillingham, that's all his experience. He's familiar with Arizona. Um, he's he's locked in with the high schools there, which I think is desperately needed. I mean, Herm, they basically stopped recruiting Arizona, I feel like, and just focused on, on Southern yeah. California when they were there. Um, and he's young. He's got energy. And the thing is, he's like, I felt like Herm, and this is where – I think we both agree with Ray Anderson. I just felt Herm and Ray Anderson were so out of step with where college football was going. Yes. We're just reading, you know, some of the transcripts from Kenny Dillingham's press conference. It feels like he is fully invested in where college football, not only where it's at, but where it is going. And I think that was desperately needed for the university. That is number one in innovation. They needed somebody that was going to be innovative. So I I think it's a great hire um, and I'm excited for what he can do down there. I just wanted a, a hire that made sense. I wanted a, 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 a power five coordinator, a group of five head coach with some, with some good experience and some, a good resume. Like I, I just wanted a, I guess. And, and I know that like, you know, grading the coaching hires in the same year is, 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 is dumb and, and it takes a couple years, but I just wanted like when I'm, when I'm reading these articles all next month, like to have a sensible, like B plus or a minus grade, not like a, why the heck did they hire, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles defensive line coach because he, he coached at ASU for two years in the mid, you know what I'm saying? Like I was afraid we would get something like that, that they would try to go out of the box again and another new leadership model. So I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, that that has to be refreshing. You didn't get like a whole new corporate uh, structure for how you're. <laughs> oh yeah, thank gosh. This guy's a CEO, and then he's gonna he's gonna coordinate down the coordinators, and then the coordinators are gonna have their own coordinators, and then the coordinators have to think. No, just just give me a guy that's gonna call plays. Um, all right, let's let's talk about one. Listen, I feel like I need to take a little victory lap here. You do. How long have I been calling Matt Rule in Nebraska? Like, I feel like summer. 
since our conference preview, you were like, well, when we were talking about Nebraska, you're like, well, basically what's going to happen is Scott Frost isn't going to work, uh, and they're just going to hire Matt Rule when he gets fired from. Uh, Maybe I'll try to find that audio and splice that in, or, or at some point. I feel like I, I feel like I need to. I, I have to have it somewhere. Matt Rule hired by the Nebraska Cornhuskers, an eight-year deal worth about nine million annually for Matt Rule. Um, apparently, from what I read, the reasoning for that was because he was going to make about forty million dollars from the Carolina Panthers to do nothing in the next couple of years, and to get him to do something, he, they they needed to incentivize him. So. Uh, they do that. Um, what are your thoughts on the hire? I mean, we've seen Matt Rule have a lot of success in college at Temple, turned around Baylor when that program was just in complete dysfunction. It didn't work in the NFL. I don't know if Matt Rule quite has the allure he did when he left two-ish years ago. And Lucas, a lot of things have changed in, 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 in mm-hmm. that time. Like we, we talk about it with these coaches coming back. Um, the college football's changed, you know, transfer portal, NIL, early signing period, like just the way you recruit kids. That being said, I, I, I think I like the fit on a surface level with Matt Rule in Nebraska. I think he'll do a lot of things that that fan base wants. They'll be physical. They'll, they'll run the ball. Um, and, a, you know, a chance for Nebraska to, to get back into relevancy in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think – you know, he's won, and he's won in two, you know, different parts. It's not like his whole history is, it, you know, in the Northeast. You know, he went to Penn State. Yeah, he coached at Temple, led them to a conference title his last year. He goes to Baylor, has no ties whatsoever to that area. It took, Baylor was a, a legit dumpster fire when he took that job over. It was the year following all the sanctions and the, the Arp Ryle scandal. I mean, I think he had like three guys in his incoming recruiting class when he took that that job over, and he got them from one win his first year to playing in the Big Twelve championship game by his third year. I I think it's a great hire. I think one of the the things that you know it didn't work out in the NFL, but it didn't seem like it was like an Urban Meyer situation where you had like players like where like he's treating he doesn't know how to treat you know guys or anything. I think it was more or less that they just could never find a quarterback. Um, with the Panthers, but no, I think it's a good hire. I think it'd be smart for him to bring in maybe some fresh blood, not just guys that have been with you the whole time. Cause like you mentioned, a lot has changed in the, in the last three years that he's been away from the game, but I think it's a good cultural fit. I just wasn't sure if Matt rule was going to want to coach right away, unless it was the right fit because you mentioned his contract, but I, I sent you, I think it was with Trey Wingo. He was interviewing, and he was basically like, it's, I've been gone from the game for like two months and I'm like just ready. He's like, I just miss being at practice. And that was did not sound like a guy who was going to wait very long for his next opportunity. So as much as, you know, I dislike Nebraska, I, I think it's a great hire for them. Like you mentioned kind of with Kenny Dillingham, it just feels like a sensible hire. Now, Scott Frost seemed like a home run hire too. So you can't guarantee these things. But I just think um, – the, the track the track record for Matt Rule is much better than it was for Scott Frost. Scott Frost was a head coach for two years before he came to Nebraska, um, where Matt Rule at least has had a history of not just building but sustaining success, um, you know, wherever he's gone. So I think it's it's a really really good hire, uh, and it better be because they're paying him a a ton of money uh, 
well, to be a good hire. And so this was something that I, I brought up to you before we started to record tonight. And it's something I wanted to talk about on the show. It's baffling to me that these schools, I mean, we're seeing every coach get hired. I, I haven't seen Kenny Dillingham's contract yet, but Matt Rule, eight years, Luke Fickle, seven years, Hugh Freeze, six years. We'll get to him in a second. The 10 year deals for Franklin, Tucker, and Kelly last year. With, I mean, you have two prevailing ideologies in college football right now, right? Coaches are getting more money and longer term deals. And fan bases and administrations are getting less patient with their coaches. I mean, you're already seeing people, you know, Billy Napier goes six and six. Mario Cristobal goes five and seven at, at Miami. Like if Mario Cristobal goes six and six next year, he might get fired. And he signed an eight or nine year deal last year. Right. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, it's interesting to me that athletic directors with how little patience their fans have anymore, sign these coaches to these eight year deals, seven year deals, 10 year deals. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird to me, and I get that they can just pay it. It doesn't matter. It's just kind of fun money. But I would I would think that, like, there would be some repercussions for this eventually, right? I mean, and you, you kind of saw it with Jimbo, right? Like, Jimbo yeah. would be fired in any other job in America if a coach with that magnitude, with that that those expectations went five and seven. Any other if, – if his contract, if he had four years left, he, he would be fired. Mm-hmm. They couldn't do it because of the contract. So I'm, I'm just, I'm interested. Like this is a thing that's here to stay now. If you want an elite top tier coach, you're going to have to give him seven or eight years at least, and in the neighborhood of seven to ten million dollars. Well, and that's an interesting thing that you know, an interesting thing to me is, are these all happening? Because you mentioned Jimbo, we mentioned Brian Kelly, you mentioned we mentioned Matt Rule, Luke Fickle. Look at the two leagues that those t- those guys coach in. Those are the two leagues that right now, at least with money, with the Big Ten's new deal, with the SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas, I think that's why I'm interested to see what, what Kenny Dillingham gets, what Colorado's head coach gets, what Georgia Tech's head coach gets. Because I think we're I think we're already seeing it. But I think those two leagues, like Wisconsin never prior to this probably would never even think about paying that much for a head coach. But because of these new TV deals, I mean, shit, Nebraska fired Scott Frost. They needed to wait two weeks and their buyout would have gone down from 14 million to 7 million, but they didn't care because they knew they had the money to pay it. Um, I just think, I just think right now, like, especially in those two leagues, yes, seen the big 10, they got to spend that money somewhere. And they're just like, why don't we just sweeten the pot as much as we can? Because we're probably going to have more money in three or four years if we have to fire these guys anyway. Or we're going to have more money where we can basically protect ourselves from them ever leaving a a job. So I think it's just the trend. And we're seeing it with sitting head coaches too. Like they're good for one year. I mean, Mel Tucker was good for one year and ended up doubling his pay and then goes five and seven this coming year. Um, so I think just because think you get trend, that, I, just because you get that huge money, like that, that huge raise, it doesn't make you a better coach. And no. I think these, and the, these fan bases, like when you, when, when Mel Tucker goes from a coach making five and a half million dollars to nine and a half million dollars, fans expect that their team's results are going to jump with that, with that, with that raise. 
it just doesn't it just it just doesn't happen like that. It's really hard to be consistently good. I mean, think of how hard it is to like think of all the teams that have won ten games in one year over the last five or six years, right? You can name a bunch of them, right? Wake Forest has a random 10-win season, you know, whatever, you know, Utah, whatever. But think of the schools that have won 10 games like three or four times in a, in a four- or five-year stretch. It's a considerable small number. Yeah. It's really hard to be consistently good in this sport because year to year you have it. I mean, think of TCU this year. TCU is probably 12 plays away from being like 6-6, six and six, mm-hmm. right, or 7-5. and five. But, like, the balls have bounced their way. The injuries, right? Like, things throughout the course of the year that might trip you up. You go from 7-5 and five to 10-2. and two. You go from the Peach Bowl to, like, the Cheez-It Bowl, right? Like, it's it's a small – it's a margin for error. And fan bases are like, why did Mel Tucker go 10-2 and two this year and 5-7 and seven this year? And, you know, 5-7 and seven the next year. It's not as easy as just roll the ball out unless you're Ohio State or unless you're – Bama maybe or Clemson or like whatever. Yeah. Fun note, there are two Cheez-It Bowls this year. Fun fact. There is the uh, Cheez-It <laughs> Bowl and there's the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. I did see that. <laughs> well, the, the, the Cheez-It Bowl used to be in Arizona. Now it's the Guaranteed yes. Rate Bowl, which is considerably less fun considering the Cheez-It Bowl winner coach got doused in, in not Cheez-It. Gatorade, but Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its. Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got we got one more Power Five coach to uh, talk about, and it's one that I don't think we're really looking forward to. Um, Auburn did it. They, Auburn pulled the trigger. There was some backlash um, when it was reported kind of over the weekend that Hugh Freeze was the leading candidate. And a couple of days passed, no announcement, no official word, no sources, and we're thinking, all right, are they looking to plan C or D after Lane Kiffin turned them down and got extended at Ole Miss? And nope. Auburn's hiring Hugh Freeze, uh, the Liberty head coach, a uh, former Ole Miss head coach. Um, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts here. I'll let you go ahead and go first, though. I mean, it was just like so predictable. Uh, there was talk that they should they wanted to hire him two years ago, and they initially hired <coughs> uh, Brian Harson. I mean, I don't know. I just I get the hire. He's a you know he he's won. In the SEC prior, he's he's beaten Nick Saban. He beat him a couple of times at Ole Miss. He's had good success. Look, the guy can coach. Like basically everywhere he's been, he can coach. It's just just so much bag, and just the whole thing with him just kind of irritates me. Like he was said, he was this whole like this good like Christian. Like I have nothing against good Christian coaches, but. Then he gets caught, you know, with an escort service. He has stuck up for, for people who have done questionable acts, specifically at Liberty. Um, and then it's just, I don't know. I look, the guy can coach. Is he going to be successful at Auburn? I have no idea. I thought Brian Harson was going to be successful at Auburn. Gus Melzahn was successful at Auburn, and he still got fired. So, um, I just like if you're Auburn, like. Why weren't you going after a guy like Luke Fickle or one of these other? I just think there were so many other candidates that have the qualities you want and he well, agrees, but you just decided not. I don't know. I just think it's a it's, it's Auburn though. They love baggage, so I guess this this makes sense. And it, maybe he's he could kill it there. I'm not saying he can't. He obviously has had success in the SEC before at at a lower tier job at Ole Miss. So. 
it could be good. I did see a tweet. I just have to speak. I did see a tweet. Some guy's like, oh, they got Hugh Freeze took liberty to un un unknown heights at his job. And I'm like, okay, they've been in FBS for like six years. Yeah, he had the big game at ten and one when in COVID, but they've been like, you know, eight and four. I don't know. I just thought that was weird. Like unknown heights to me means he like took them to like near playoff or New Year's six bowls and none of that happened. I personally think that Auburn is one of the most despicable places in college football. And think about this, Lucas. They tried to run Brian Harson off for an alleged extramarital affair with a staffer. And they just hired a guy that admitted to, and it was found out that he was like seeking out escorts with a university phone. Mm-hmm. Right? They're they're they are they are hiring a guy that had over 20 wins vacated at Ole Miss because of recruiting violations. I sent you guys this in our in our chat. This is from the college football subreddit. This is a uh, a person who is a former Ole Miss staffer. Now, again, this this is not verified, but usually Reddit does a good job of if, if this information is bogus, they, they try to take it down quickly. Um, this was her post. Uh, Freeze is a creep. From the escorts on the work phone to DMing a sexual assault survivor at Liberty to harass mm-hmm. her to making young girls change their shirts in front of him or following them to their cars when they had to go change their skirts. My interactions with him as a woman were unsettling and also strange. He commented on my physical appearance nearly every time I had to interact with him. And nearly every other female student trainer I worked with had a similar experience. Personally, I would never want him back. and I don't think he deserves any position of power where young women may have to interact with him. Auburn cares more about beating Alabama than they do about their women on campus. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's despicable. It's gross. It's unsettling. They have such a little brother complex that they have to get the guy that beat Saban a couple times. They have to get him. He can recruit. He can recruit. I, I just think it's absolutely disgusting. It's gross. And I'm Auburn gets what they deserve. Auburn's a laughingstock. They're a laughingstock of yeah. college football. They are. This The search was a mockery. They, I was told for weeks of how great the Auburn job is. It's a recruiting hotbed, NIL war chest, all this bullshit. And they end up with Liberty's head coach. All right, cool. You hire Liberty's head coach who was fired for soliciting prostitutes. And probably Liberty was the only place that was going to hire. Only place that was going to hire. Yeah. You are hiring a coach that was sending harassing text messages to a young female staffer. After trying to relieve the duties of a coach where you were trying to say he was having an extramarital affair with a young female staffer. I mean, it's it's just despicable. But listen, Auburn's not relevant in college football. They're not a relevant program. They haven't been relevant in a decade. They're the little brother. They went five and seven this year. I don't really care what they do. Like keep being six and six. Keep doing what you're what what you're doing. Boom. I'll I'll care. end the I'll end the discussion there. I don't care. <laughs> On that. All right, Lucas, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the games that happened this past weekend. Uh, just want to touch on a couple things here, then we'll get to uh, championship week. Um, let's talk about the big one, right? Ohio State-Michigan. Uh, Michigan goes in 45-23 over Ohio State. They do it in a way that we haven't seen Michigan play all season. I think they had like 360 yards on like nine plays. Mm-hmm. They were getting bomb after bomb after bomb over the top. You could tell Ohio State was like, hey, we'll let J.J. McCarthy beat us. We don't think he can. We can stop the run. We'll be good. Well, it didn't play out like that. Kudos to Jim Harbaugh. Kudos to J.J. McCarthy. They they have Blake Corum for like two plays the whole game. Donovan Edwards runs wild. 
Uh, Lucas, what were your thoughts on the big game in the Big Ten? It, it was shocking because it was – it wasn't – I guess it, it was semi-similar uh, to the game last year where it was kind of back and forth, and then Michigan then got uh, like a two-score lead and then just never gave back. It's just so funny seeing this from Michigan because this is what we saw Ohio State for like, what, seven, eight, nine years do consistently to Michigan whenever these two met in what was you know, a highly ranked matchup, which we saw Ohio State just really, there was no fear of Ohio State playing Michigan. And I think Michigan had, it was a head case game for them. Like, I, I don't think mentally they were prepared to face. I think there was, you know, some, you know they were scared. Of Ohio State, and I think that script has completely changed. Yeah, I mean, it looked like Michigan could do whatever they wanted on defense. They came in there as the aggressor. Uh, you know, they slowed down Ohio State's you know pretty potent offense. I mean, Donovan Edwards had 216 yards um, on them. Blake Corum barely played. I think he only had nine carries in the entire game, and yet you still lose by by 22 points at home. I think it's you know, you could call it a changing of the guard. I mean, we're, we were talking about, you know, if Brian Day loses this game for a third time next year, you know, is he going to be potentially on the hot seat there, which is nuts because it might be the only game he loses. Um, so it, it is crazy. But I think you do have to give kudos to Michigan, especially just over the last couple of years. I think we all thought there was going to be a setback from them with the amount of talent that they lost. but. You know, kudos to them for just reloading, and I think it is showing that you know they have they have staying power. JJ McCarthy might have played his best game as a Michigan Wolverine, and they needed him to. Um, but it's crazy. I I did not think we would be having this discussion at the end of this year. I thought this was Ohio State was going to come back with a vengeance and reclaim what was theirs. But you know, I think we got to start talking about Michigan being kind of the top dog in the Big Ten right now, and. It might be until Ohio State proves otherwise. It's interesting because I, I feel like college football is very cyclical, right? And Jim Harbaugh was criticized the first part of his Michigan tenure for not being explosive enough on offense, not scoring enough points, not producing receivers and quarterbacks. And that's what Ohio State was doing. And now it's almost people are saying, well, Ohio State's not physical enough. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how that has flipped, Right. Um, as we've seen linebackers get smaller and defensive ends get smaller, like with teams that can line up and Michigan's offensive line is so good. I mean, their center is so good. Um, even without Blake Corum, the way they pushed, mm-hmm. I mean, think of Ohio state's defensive line. I mean, JT two of my Zach Harrison, I mean, the, the studs on that defense and Michigan just, just, just worked them. They go into Columbus and win by 20 points. And, I have been seeing people on Twitter and, and, and Bud Elliott, who I really like, has had this take of like, well, if, if they played again, I would favor Ohio State or Ohio State should be favored because no way Michigan can do that again. And I'm like, are, are we just not going to let the games count anymore? Yeah. Like, do we just not do like, do like, do the results not matter anymore that Michigan goes in as a seven and a half point favorite and blows out Ohio State by 22 points? And, and dominates them in the second half without without their best offensive player. And, and, and you have the nerve to be like, well, it was kind of fluky because they hit big plays. I don't know. Maybe they had a good offensive game plan. They knew that they were going to try to stop the run so they could hit the shot over the top. I don't know. 
you know, but this is a theme like Florida state ranked behind LSU, Florida state beat LSU, mm-hmm. um, Oregon ranked, ranked ahead of Oregon state, Oregon state just beat Oregon. Like it's, we had this weird thing where the games don't matter anymore, which is yeah. one of the things I hate most about college football. But anyway, I'm a little fired up right now. God, the new free stuff really got to me anyway. But like, but like, just again, just to like wrap up my thoughts on Michigan. Yeah. I would put Michigan at one. I, I mean, Let's to me, it. like they have the best win in the country. Now you beat a top two team on the road. They throttled Penn state who won 10 games this year. Like I know the non-conference was, was, was light. Um, but I, I'm so impressed with that program and, and kudos to them for sticking with Jim Harbaugh. I mean, how many other programs would Jim Harbaugh been fired from for not winning the big game and not getting Michigan where it had to be. And he's on the verge of back-to-back playoff appearances. Do you think if that year was not a COVID, not the COVID year where a lot of fluky crap happened, like let's say 2020 was just a regular season and they went five and seven. Do you think he's still there? Do you think they still could give him an extra shot? Or do you think it was because it was such a fluky year? There's like, okay, it's a one-off. Probably because it was such a fluky year. I don't know if, if Harbaugh and his state could have gone under 500 that long into his tenure um, with that much frustration. Now, I'm guessing J.J. McCarthy probably was in the recruiting class or or maybe on the roster, so maybe they could point to, hey, we have this five-star freshman that we're you know, grooming. But um, no, I mean, we're, it's interesting. We've seen that year just like it's – that year is such an outlier, right? Texas A&M went 9-1. Florida won the SEC East. Like Dan Mullen's fired. Jimbo's on the hot seat. Like it's such a weird – um, like Northwestern won the like Northwestern has been the the worst program in the Big Ten yeah, for the last three of the last four years. Northwestern went winless in the United States this year. <laughs> One of my favorite stats of the season. Northwestern <laughs> won the European champion of college football. <laughs> oh and eleven in United States soil. One and zero across the pond. Absolutely, oh. but like Northwestern won the won the Big Ten West that year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's um. It's such a weird, fluky year. But any more thoughts on Michigan and Ohio State before we? Uh, we uh, no, but I, to kind of counter your point, I, I agree with you. In the fact it drives me nuts when people are like, "Are they the four best teams?" Because I hear it with TCU, they're like, "Well, if you put TCU in Alabama and played, Alabama would be favored." So how can you say that TCU is a better team? I'm like TCU hasn't lost. Like they played. Don't get me started on Alabama. Don't get me started on Alabama. Alabama's best win is what Texas. Or, yeah. or like Mississippi State, and their two losses aren't even. They lost to LSU, who just lost to Texas A and M this week, and then uh, Tennessee. Then you, yeah, and then Tennessee lost. Just got crushed by thirty points to South Carolina. Uh, even though we'll probably talk here, that might be one of the next games we talk about with South Carolina. They end up ending the season pretty good, but no, it, it'll be interesting to see how the rankings come out next week because. That five and if you're at five and six, yeah. this last week, yeah, you know, you're looking at your top, seeing that USC has to play Washington and uh, you know TCU still has to play a, a pretty good Kansas State team. But we'll get. It's that. really interesting to, and and I I guess we can kind of jump to this right now just to kind of you know work it in the flow. But I mean, the argument being like, all right, USC goes eleven and one, they lose to Washington right in the in the Pac-12 championship game. Why should they be penalized and Ohio State and Alabama not be penalized for sitting at home and doing nothing? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I, I, I personally think Michigan, TCU, and Georgia should already be in. 
I, I, I just think they went 12 and 0 in the regular season. Why do we penalize them for playing an extra game? Is it better than to be Ohio state or Alabama? Uh, Alabama finished second in its own division. They, they, they ain't win its division. You're going to put them in the playoff. Yeah. Like if I see Alabama five, I'm going to lose it tomorrow. I'm going to absolutely lose it. Especially why should they be? I just don't get why they should be ranked. They didn't beat a top. Tennessee. They did not win a game against a team that had more than eight wins this year. Yeah. Did not win a game. But watch Mississippi state's going to be ranked. And they will. They will. Because they're going to drop Ole Miss. Mississippi State's going to be ranked. Maybe like Texas gonna... jumps up to like 19 and they can say they have a top 20 win. <laughs> <sighs> um, oh, man. A couple, uh, I, I want to stay in the Big Ten just so we can laugh at Iowa. Uh, what a choke shot for Iowa, man. They are, they put up under 300 yards of offense against a terrible Nebraska. They, all Iowa had to do was win in Lincoln against a, a lifeless Nebraska program. Was it, it was in Iowa City. Oh, it was. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Wasn't it? I thought it was yes. in Lincoln. No, it was in That's Iowa City. That's even worse, man. I saw they were down 17 nothing. I was like, this is just absolutely perfect. They were down 24 nothing at one oh, point. And just, and then they, of course, they came back and then just had a, just a dreadful last drive, but. I mean, it's the story of Iowa season. We talked about it last week. Their whole big run was just so weird because nothing really changed with their team. They just – they were the same team. They were just getting a little bit more lucky. Yeah. Um, I did read – I did read – I was on the Iowa 24-7 board, and I guess they did say there are deep discussions about the future. Not that there's going to be firings or anything like that, but apparently Ference is having deep discussions of where he wants to take the program. Moving forward, I just – if Brian Ferentz is their offense quarter next year, I just yeah, – that they've got to be sued for nepotism at that point because <laughs> he's proven not to be very good at his job. And if he did not have that last name, he's probably fired. The but, offensive line coach is probably going to sue the sue the, uh, sue the Iowa administration or something. <laughs> like, you know. For incompetence. Discrimination you know, it, or something, not being over <laughs> Uh, but hey, kudos to Nebraska. They still played hard. They probably should have beaten Wisconsin two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, first time they beat Iowa, I think, in seven years. So kudos to them and Mickey Joseph for them still playing hard. Casey Thompson had a really, really good game. Um, but yeah, we can all laugh at Iowa. They had a golden opportunity to somehow sneak into the Big Ten title game. Um, but then kudos to Purdue for being the beneficiary of that first ever yep. Big Ten West title. Uh, and like, I'm just happy because at least Purdue can put up points. It might be, yeah. they might be able to at least like give an ounce of effort against, uh, against Michigan. Cause we saw what happened in Michigan, Iowa last year it was not, uh, not pretty. And I don't think the result would have been any better this year. Two more games I want to touch on on Friday, and then we'll get to the Saturday slate. Florida state finishes the regular season with nine wins. They beat Florida 45, 38, Jordan Travis. Looked really good, 270 yards for him. And then uh, uh, Missouri getting bowl eligible, cashing your over five and a half wins, beating Arkansas. Uh, Brady Cook, uh, 242 yards in the air, 138 on the ground. His best game of his collegiate career to get to six and six. Um, Impressive for Mike Norvell. This was a team I was not really high on Mm -hmm. heading into the, uh, heading into uh, the regular season this year. I thought the non-conference schedule was going to be tough with, you know, LSU and Louisiana and Florida. And sure enough, they go 4-0. Nine wins for Mike Norvell in year three, I think, is quite an accomplishment. 
Um, bit of a season of runs for Florida State. I believe they started 4-0, lost three in a row, and then won their last five. Um, they kind of solidify themselves as maybe the second best team in the ACC. Maybe the best team right now. I mean, you could argue they're playing the best out of any team in that conference right now. I mean, if they played Clemson this week, like, yeah, what what's the what's the line or spread on that? Because you look at not just the way this was a semi close game; it was back and forth against Florida. But their previous four wins, they won those games easily. Um, so I think it's it's a good step forward for Florida State. Mike Norvell, I'm sure, with with the way Clemson has played, I mean, DJU was terrible against uh against south carolina could that have been his last game with them a little bit in flux i think florida state has a good opportunity especially with them getting rid of divisions next year um i think it it gives a good opportunity for florida state to maybe make a run at an acc title next year but um, yeah let's let's talk about clemson here real quick so they lose to south carolina shout out south carolina they end the year with two top 10 wins first time they won back-to-back games against top 10 teams and in program history, uh, DJU nine of 22, um, not good. And I do think he's played his last game at Clemson. I think for both sides, I think you have to move on. I think, I I think for DJ, maybe you try to get somewhere with a little bit friendlier of an offense, maybe the big 12, maybe it's, I'm just speculating Baylor or, you know, Texas tech, you go back out West. Maybe you go back out West. There's a certain school down South in the desert. Lovely this time of year that might need a quarterback. Hey, and who just did a pretty damn good job with a, a transfer yeah. quarterback from I the like southeast that. part of the U.S. I so like that. you let Clay Kate Klubnick take over at Clemson as a uh, a, a true sophomore or redshirt freshman. I don't know if his his redshirt was burned, but yeah, Clemson ten and two, and it you know it, it's 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 weird that that feels like a down year for Clemson. Back-to-back down-ish years for Clemson, although they will likely win the ACC this year and probably go to the Orange Bowl. But I, I, I don't know if, if if Clemson is still in that elite. And I, and I think maybe I, I want to touch on this more in our ACC, like, you know, review, maybe next week or the week after. But it's, something was just off of that team all year. Credit to them for winning 10 games and winning their division. But they when you look back at the ACC Atlantic, like, it's – it's not great. I mean, Syracuse finished seven and five. Louisville finished seven and five. NC State was eight and four, but only four and four in, in the league. Wake Forest three and five in the league. I mean, ACC as a whole pretty down this year. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and that was, you know, that's why we were so high in Clemson returning back, like even with average quarterback play, and probably so with average quarterback play, they probably win the ACC. Now they still could. Um, but they're def- they probably don't lose to South Carolina. Uh, maybe they put up a better of a fight against Notre Dame. But, yeah, I think it's it's a reevaluation period, which shows you where Dow has gotten uh, with Clemson is the fact that they're 10-2, and two, and we say they probably need to reevaluate some things within that program. But it, you're, where they're at, they're not going to win a national title with the way they've played offense the last few years. Um, and I know he's been – good at hiring from within, but I just think that they probably would benefit from an outside voice. Um, And I was going to say to you, you mentioned kind of Iowa and kind of a choke job they had. I think another, another choke job that had happened this weekend was, was in Corvallis and the uh, the Oregon Ducks, 
All they had to do was win. They were up 31 to 10. I think it was with like eight minutes left in, or uh, I think it was with four minutes, four and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. And then with eight minutes left in the fourth, they were then losing. Uh, I believe Not only that, Oregon State like didn't throw a pass the whole time. Like no. they just got ran down their throats. Yes. Um, absolute choke job by by Oregon. They needed to win in Corvallis to s- secure a spot in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, funny enough, despite the fact that uh, Washington finished ten and two, Utah will be playing in the Pac-12 championship game because you had three teams finish seven and two. Um, tough. Tough end of the first year for Dan Lanning and my boy, of course, Kenny Dillingham. Always been a Kenny Dillingham stand from day one. You know that, obviously. Um, <laughs> tough way for that to end. I was looking forward to USC Oregon. I, that would have been, I think, the best matchup for the Pac-12. A ten and two Oregon, a ten and eleven and one USC. They didn't play in the regular season, um, and it doesn't happen. And listen. We can make jokes about the Pac-12, and I've had this hot take. The Pac-12 is the best league in America this year. Six teams won nine games. Half of the league won nine games. And I know you had Stanford, who was bad, Colorado atrocious, ASU bad. So certainly the bottom was really bad. But, like, you look at the standings. I mean, USC 11-1, Washington 10-2, Oregon, Utah, Oregon State, and UCLA, all 9-3. and three. I mean, this league was, was really good this year. And it, yeah. the top of the teams kind of beat up on each other. Right, Washington beat Oregon. UCLA beat Washington. Right, Utah beat uh, USC. USC and Oregon beat UCLA. Like it was, it was a fun year in the Pac-12, and and I'm hope that they can cap it off with sending USC to the college football playoff. Because I mean, we can talk about USC, man. What a great win for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about a couple weeks ago USC getting getting momentum. Right, you you had a game in the Rose Bowl. You beat. You know, UCLA in a fantastic game. You pretty much control Notre Dame from start to finish. You're up 24-7 to in the second half. Notre Dame kind of comes back. They end up winning by 11. The loss in Corvallis, the, the win in Corvallis now looks good. Like, USC has, you know, two road wins over nine win teams and a home win over Notre Dame. So, um, you know, Caleb Williams is not a Heisman favorite. Like, that's came out of nowhere, like, the last two weeks, now the Heisman favorite. And Lincoln Riley in year one. Now, of course, the Pac-12 will Pac-12 itself, and Utah's probably going to win. Um, and we'll see, we'll see them in the Rose Bowl again. But uh, you know what a what a I mean, we talked about USC in the preseason, and it was like we have we don't know what to expect. This yeah. could be an eight win team, could be a nine win team, could be a ten win team, and they're sixty minutes away from going to the playoff in Lincoln Riley's first year. Oh, man, how dumb Oklahoma fans look right now, too. Remember when he left and they hired Brent Venables? They're like, well, this is our guy. We were we were regressing the last couple Yo, Tom, of years. Tom Fernelli with, like, the tweet of the year. He was like, Caleb Williams is a Heisman frontrunner. Lincoln Riley might take USC to the playoff in year one. Spencer Rattler just beat two top ten teams in a row. And Oklahoma just lost to Texas Tech to finish 6-6. Six and six. Brutal. Like, and we're probably playing in like the guaranteed rate bowl or something like that. And uh, shout out Phoenix, baby. Come on. Or <laughs> the Birmingham bowl or something <laughs> like that. But, um, but yeah, no, I, it, it's a hell of a job by Lincoln Riley, obviously with USC. And you did mention it could be a similar situation. Utah did the same thing last year. They beat Oregon at home and then they beat them in the, in the Pac-12 championship game. So it can happen, but, I think you just have to be excited for USC, especially 
with the way the season's gone, what the feet, I mean, they get Caleb Williams back next year, which um, seems like it shouldn't happen, but it, it's going to happen. And then you might have all the success before you move to the big tent, which I think is kind of the, the dream scenario for them. So um, I'm excited. It, it's been great this year to have the PAC 12 be relevant in the national discussion. Again, I think it's healthy for the sport. Um and I hope it continues. I mean, obviously, it might hurt when those couple teams leave. But we saw, you know, Washington, Oregon. I think those programs are still going to be mainstays, even when those two programs leave. But um, yeah, for the first, I mean, there's going to be eyeballs on the Pac-12 championship game this year from everywhere um, because of what's at stake. And I think overall, that's a great thing for the sport. Quick tangent. I find it. Very strange that nobody just questions the NFL entry rules when we have to, like, when Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison can't enter the draft after their sophomore year. It's just weird to me, like, with how advanced kids' bodies are now in training, like, yeah, that no one even questions the age limit. Like, the NBA, everyone talks about it. Well, like, I'll let high schoolers go. Like, we're still sitting here being like, yeah, it's fine that, you know, um, Harold Perkins from LSU has to play two more years of college football. <laughs> And it's like, no, like that guy's that guy could probably play in the NFL right now. Anyway, yeah. quick side tangent. That's an offseason conversation. But I thought that was interesting. Um, speaking of Harold Perkins, uh, LSU, man. Uh, the, the playoff picture right now, Lucas, is crystal clear. If the four teams ranked one to four win, they're all yeah. in. I think Georgia and Michigan can probably lose, and they'd still be in. TCU won't because it's TCU, unfortunately, and they have, they're held to a higher standard than Alabama and Ohio State. I get that. I understand that. I hate it, but I understand it. Um, but LSU goes into, uh, into College Station and just lays an egg, man. I mean, um, Texas and running back, I'm blanking on his name, uh, um, Devin, uh, Devon uh, A-Chain. A-Chain. A-Chain, yeah. Uh, runs for uh, – 215 yards, Texas A&M bullies LSU. They, Texas A&M scored more points against LSU than they did against uh, uh, UMass. Against, uh, UMass. <laughs> and so this is my thing. And I'm a little fired up today, Lucas. But I was I was consuming some LSU media today mm-hmm. after work. Oh, man. And this LSU like radio show host was dissecting the game. And he's like, you know, my, my big picture on this is that LSU went in there and played bad football and lost to a good football team. And I'm sitting there being like, are you kidding me? Texas A&M, which put up 30 points in one game this year to Sam Houston State and had lost six games in a row at one point and beat UMass by 17 points is a good football team. Are you freaking kidding me? But that's the mental gymnastics in in their head. Texas A&M sucks. They suck this year. They were a bad football team. LSU went in there unmotivated, looking ahead to Georgia, and lost. Jane Daniels got hurt. Uh, they couldn't stop the run. But to sit here and say that, like, oh, man, they went 5-7 and seven in the SEC. It's really tough to go 6-6 six and six in the SEC. Oh, man, really tough. That's why, that's why like, 10 other teams did it in the <laughs> SEC. Literally. Like, 12 of them did. <laughs> oh, man. Um any uh, any thoughts on some uh, some games from Saturday before we <laughs> before we move on and I blow a gasket tonight? <laughs> um, I was just gonna say shout out to Washington finishing ten and two, almost made it to the Pac twelve championship game, but they win the Apple Cup uh, handily. Um, 
51 to 33. I just think a hell of a job by Kalen DeBoer. Um, this was a team that looked like it had quit on Jimmy Lake last year. Didn't know what to expect. They went from being one of the worst offenses in college football last year to the best passing offense in college football. Um, an electric Michael Penix has been phenomenal this season. So Iowa, there is there is hope there. Just hire a really good offensive coach, and maybe you can be Washington. Iowa, bring in former Indiana quarterback Michael Penix. <laughs> Full circle, baby. Come on back to the Big Ten. No, they'll bring in, like, Jack Tuttle, like the backup to Michael Penix, who was awful. You know um, who I saw? So, Cade McNamara entered the portal today, yes. and Bruce Feldman said, watch out for Iowa, for Cade McNamara. Oh, God. That's, <laughs> I don't get – like, Cade McNamara is fine – uh, the Wisconsin 24-7 board is, like, obsessed with Cade McNamara. They're like – because we were his first Power 5 offer. Um, so, like, we have a good relationship. Like, one, the, the, the previous staff that recruited him is gone. Like, they're, they're going to be gone. And, two, it's like, really? Like, that's, like, who we're shooting for? Like, no, nothing against Cade McNamara, but we clearly saw that Michigan's offense was better when they – went to the other guy that just feels like um, such an, an a marriage mat like a match made in heaven Cade mcnamara in iowa i mean it iowa. just it feels like such a great match for them oh my god uh yeah if he loves throwing you know five yard outs as explosive plays every uh every week but um oh man i love transfer portal season is going to be nuts uh next week it's already starting um, man it's already starting <laughs> it's nuts so, uh, uh, looking at, oh, yeah, Miami finally put out of their misery. Uh, <sighs> they get absolutely slaughtered by Pitt. Kudos to Pitt. Uh, four and four. Their season was kind of tail winning. They won four straight and the year to finish at eight and four. Um, and they absolutely pissed pound Miami. Um, I'm assuming there's going to, that's going to, we're talking about transfer portal, them, AM. I think you're going to just see those, those rosters just clear house. Because um, Miami, it looked like nobody was having fun. Um, there in the first year under Cristobal. You mentioned Oklahoma losing overtime to Texas Tech. Their season is finally over, though they will have uh, they will have the bowl game. Um, but otherwise, besides that, Illinois caps off, I thought, a really good year throttling Northwestern. They don't make the Big Ten title game, but 8-4, and four, kudos to them and Brett Bielma for yep. in their second year really turning around that program. It uh, looks like it's moving in a really good direction. And also, um, just have to add, the, uh, the NCAA rules for the transition periods are so stupid. James Madison, their first year in FCS, they go, I believe, 8-3. and three. Um, But yet, they can't play for a bowl game. I think they were about to, they were either second or third, I think, in, or they were like one game back of winning their division in the Sun Belt. Even if they won their division, could not play in the Sun Belt championship game. Um, but kudos to them. Their first year, they absolutely crushed Coastal Carolina this week. Um, but yeah, they're actually first in the Sun Belt East uh, because they beat Coastal Carolina. But they can't, due to uh, NCAA rules, they cannot compete in the Sun Belt Championship game because they're ineligible for postseason play for their first two years in FBS. But um, kudos to them for and what is a tough uh, division, the Sun Belt East. Um, them getting it and also shout out to Marshall. Um, I bet their win total over seven and a half. Uh, they beat, uh, I believe it was Georgia State last week and got their eighth win of the year. So thank you, uh, Marshall, because that was looking in doubt when they fell to four and four uh, a few weeks ago. 
All right, let's uh, wrap things up here tonight by doing a quick preview of conference championship week. I think about 10 or 12 games on the docket. Power 5 conference championship uh, games, Utah at USC Friday night, 8 o'clock Eastern on Fox. Kansas State at uh, will play TCU in Arlington, noon Eastern on ABC, LSU in Georgia in Atlanta, uh, 4 o'clock Eastern on, uh, on CBS. Um, Purdue and Michigan, 8 Eastern on Fox. Clemson, North Carolina, 8 Eastern on ABC. Akron, Buffalo for the MAC Championship. North Texas, UTSA, and Conference USA. Uh, Toledo and Ohio. I'm sorry, Toledo and Ohio for the MAC Championship. Akron, Buffalo is is a uh, a makeup game because of the uh, the 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 blizzard uh, last week. Coastal Carolina and Troy for the Fun Belt. Fresno State and Boise State for the Mountain West. Lucas, I'm just going to ask you a quick question here. If you could watch one conference championship game, you can only watch one. What game are you watching? Well, it's matching, of course. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> though I do hate that they used to have the MAC championship game on Friday night, and they moved it to Saturday. I hated that because it was just like it was nice filler next to the Pac-12 game. Um, now it's just like an 11 a.m kickoff on ESPN that hardly anybody watches, but um, I probably a week ago would have said LSU Georgia, uh, but with LSU losing, uh, Georgia should win that game easily, but who knows? LSU has been so uh, topsy-turvy. I'm probably going to say TCU Kansas State, um, largely because look back at that Kansas State TCU game. Kansas State was up 28 to 10 at one point in Fort Worth. uh, And then, Adrian Martinez got knocked out of the game. Will Howard, who has now started the last handful of games for Kansas State, he got knocked out. They were down to their third-string quarterback. TCU came back. If they don't go down to the third string, Kansas State might have won that game. Um, and so, um, and outside of that, Kansas State's only losses were to, they, they lost a tough game to Texas. They lost to Tulane, who is playing in the American uh, championship game uh, this week. So I think that one especially because TCU's been such a great story also all year. Sonny Dykes being that, uh, what he's done in the first year has been incredible. And I just think there's going to be a lot of pressure on TCU because you mentioned it earlier. They're not maybe a, a helmet school. So even if they lose this game, more than likely they are going to drop out of the top four. Um, so I think that has the most stakes and most likely would probably be the closest out of these two games. So I'd say that one, I'd probably put the Pac-12 next. Um, followed by um, maybe the American, just because I think it would be cool to see Tulane finally competing, what a year they've had under Willie Fritz. Um, and then I might put Michigan, and then probably well, I'll put, probably put the SEC, then probably put the Big Ten. Um, the ACC is just kind of depressing just because none of those two teams. This is where the, the 14 playoff sucks, and the 12-team playoff would be awesome because basically all of these games, these teams would have something – like they yeah, have you know, a, a I texted you. I texted you this over the weekend. I said, "Bad, bad weekend for the more teams in the playoff would mean less regulars, like less meaningful regular season games, because LSU would be playing for a playoff spot right now. Uh, Kansas State would be playing for a playoff spot right now. Uh, Clemson, winner of Clemson, North Carolina is probably in. Losers probably out. Like, yeah, like you would have three or four playoff semifinals." Uh, or, or playoff, I guess, round of 16 or, like, whatever, right? Um, and instead, we get a meaningless ACC championship game. We 
as much as I hate to say it, like I personally think Georgia and Michigan can lose and they are still in. Yeah. I think if Michigan loses to Purdue, they're still in. And I think if Georgia loses to LSU, they are still in. And I do not think LSU would get in with three losses, obviously. So the SEC championship game doesn't mean anything. The Big Ten championship game doesn't mean anything. And the ACC doesn't mean anything. The 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 two that have the most meaning are the ones you put one and two in, in, in your list. I would probably put USC, Utah one, because I'm, I'm a Pac-12 homer, and I love watching yeah. Caleb Williams. But those, that's 1A and 1B, right? I mean, because if, if either of those two teams lose, I think it opens the door for Alabama and Ohio State. And I, and I think the scenarios – I think if TCU, I think if one of the teams lose, I think Ohio State gets in and they put Ohio State, Georgia, and Michigan versus either TCU or USC. If both of the teams lose, like if USC and TCU lose, which is conceivable, I think TCU probably gets in at four and they put Ohio State at three, mm-hmm. personally, or or vice versa to make the matchups not a rematch. Yeah. Um, so I think there is some intrigue this weekend, but. It, to me, it's it's kind of a um, it's been a weird year in college football. The SEC, you know, the SEC West champion has three losses. The ACC game means nothing. Clemson has two losses. North Carolina's lost two straight. Um, you know, U- Utah made the conference title game. It's the first time we've seen a two Pac-12 South teams play in the conference championship, which is intriguing. Mm-hmm. And you know, a, a lot of noise was made about Oklahoma and Texas leaving the big 12 and we have Kansas state and TCU. And last year we had Oklahoma state and Baylor. Yeah. Like, all right. I think the big 12 will be just fine without Oklahoma <laughs> and Texas. They're also bringing in a former playoff team in Cincinnati. So, uh, any final thoughts here on championship week? We're not going to give out any picks or anything. I'm, I'm probably out of money cause it's been a, been a rough, uh, last couple of weeks. I'll, uh, yeah. And especially with the, the short turnaround be getting back on, I just haven't had a chance to look at the lines. Um, we'll come up with lines. We'll post them on our Twitter feed. So if you can, please follow us at running for roses on Twitter. Um, we usually tweet out, uh, the weekly episodes. We usually, um, occasionally we'll post our picks as well. If you want to tail us or fade us, I can't argue with you either way. Um, though I did have a pretty good week last week. I think I, I was, think uh, you, you should not three. be, you should not be fading us. Um, no. you should not be fading us. You won the picks challenge. Congratulations. You, you, you outpicked me this year. Um, I made a run at the end. I, 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 I made a real, a real attempt there and you beat me in overtime. Anything else, bud, before we sign off? Uh, uh, no, hopefully everyone had a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, the college football regular season is over. Uh, and now it's, this is a crazy time because we, we already, we just talked about the coaching carousel that really took full form here the last couple of days. And now we get championship week. We're going to have staff starting. If we still have a couple big jobs, that still have to, to get filled. And then next week after championship Saturday, we get, we find out the playoff games and then we have transfer portal. It's uh, um, transfer portal. We have early signing day in a couple weeks. So really December is just kind of a smorgasbord of, of you got games you got to look forward to, but also futures of programs um, being kind of decided. So it's, it's an exciting time, uh, but one that seems to just fly by and speed by. It's hard to keep up. This is one of my most, this is one of my favorite times of the year because you're right. There's so much happening, especially for us. Like, 
We're going to be on 24 I mean, I actually was just on 24-7 like an hour ago, and it was down. So that's a little, not an ideal time for them to be down because both our schools will be making coaching. I mean, I've seen ASU already offering some, you know, transfers and some FCS guys. I'm sure Wisconsin's doing the same. And, and you're right, Selection Sunday, six days from now, when, when the time that we are recording on Monday night, we'll find out who's in the playoff. And then, and then you know, bowl games. And, and Wisconsin's going to a bowl game. Um, ASU will not be, so I'll be having to root for – you know, my, my second team, which is, of course is Illinois. Um, I have no idea. One, I think we're playing in the quick lane bowl, which is just depressing to think about. Nobody wants to go to, nobody wants to go to that. That is the equivalent of the Sun Bowl for the, the Pac-12. Yeah. The, the, and the Sun Bowl actually has a pretty good tie. It's like the third or fourth bowl for the Pac-12 and it's in El Paso. I, I feel like the Sun Bowl has history to it, at least. Like it's The quick lane bowl kind of sucks. <laughs> you play in Detroit in the middle oh. of December. You play you already you play like a freaking Mac team too. Yeah, you it's play a Mac like... team. It's like December twenty first. The only good thing for the players and staff is they're done before Christmas. But yeah, as a fan, I have no idea what the appeal is for that. And it was Wisconsin's probably because I doubt Jim Leonard's going to coach in that bowl game if he's not sticking <sighs> with the program. That, that's true. So like we're probably going to be on like our second interim. I don't know who the hell's. I don't know what the hell the roster's going. We're probably going to have a couple guys opt out for the draft, and then we're probably going to have a shitload of transfers. Um, I have no idea. Apparently, Luke Fickle said today that he would like to not coach them for the bowl, but he would like to start coaching bowl practices, which I found interesting. Usually, coaches kind of lay off on that, but yeah, the quick. Honestly, I'm happy they're getting extra practices, but uh, that's really the only positive to playing in that that bowl i was annoyed because if they would have beat minnesota there's a chance they might have gotten the music city bowl here in nashville mm-hmm. and that would have been like a good capper but uh well i've also seen you guys I, I think this was before i think they were anticipating a seven and five wisconsin team because wisconsin finished six and six correct mm-hmm. I, I saw some projections of you guys coming out here and playing in in uh, at chase field because it's a it's a Big Ten tie-in. Minnesota was here last week, uh, last year. So yeah, I, I saw like, oh, man. that would have been cool. But uh, yeah, I think we're destined for Detroit. So it'll be Toledo and Wisconsin, baby. Let's go light the fire, <laughs> light the fire, baby. <laughs> Woo! All right, that's gonna do it for Lucas Rody. I'm Ryan Baffalucas. Uh, have a great night, everyone. Enjoy Championship Week. We'll talk to you guys next week.